where you going? No, man, you got the right classroom. Come on in, take a seat beside me, my friend. Hey, look, here come T.A. Charlie. Let's see what he got to say. Have you missed us? <laughs> We're back. <laughs> We're back. You're watching The Road to Concord with Professor Joel Bakanovich. Bakanovich. is on Rumble. Just go to Rumble and search the channels for The Road to Concord. It's one word. When you find it, you go ahead and you click follow. It might mean you got to set up an account, but it's fast. It's easy. It's free. I did it. You can do it. For those technologically challenged members of the class, you can also catch us in Facebook, Twitch, TwitX, whatever, Twix. and YouTube. Yeah, Twix. Yeah, there we go. That's a good one. <clears throat> you can think, you, 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 easy for see, him to I'm say. I'm out of practice. You can catch the podcast a after the show. Character. It's uploaded to Podbean, iHeartRadio, and Spotify, and eventually BitChute. Just look for The Road to Concord. You can go to the blog page at roadtoconcord.com. That's where you find all your show notes study notes handouts and homework uh for the class oh 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 i ooh, ooh. It, yeah yeah aaron tried to give the ai assignments the other day the ai says he doesn't have the authority to boss her around oh my ooh. so aaron she spanked you <laughs> look out finally you can catch you you, you can you can email yeah yeah that you you're can't. a looney tunes character you, you might you can't catch a professor. BB says every one of the Looney Tunes characters have a there. speech impediment. So, yeah. yeah. Very, very quiet. I'm hunting rabbits. He's a little slow right now. Yeah, well, actually, he's always yeah. slow. And I think, I think there might be an email. And I don't know if you answered it or not. But anyway, yeah, he, he will eventually get around to emailing you back. Uh, if you do find your classes helpful, please click the thumbs up, like, subscribe, and share it with those you think could benefit from it. Just warn them. Joe is on cinnamon rolls. I mean, uh, Joe is an acquired taste, and and he's on cinnamon rolls today. Hey, we all know T.A. Charlie isn't all there. Now, just stay seated and give it a chance. You soon realize we not might be the smartest, but we each independently form opinions based on reason and logic. We're free thinkers. Let's see what the road to Concord with Professor Joe Bakanovic has on the lesson plan for today. Prophecy. Book of Revelations. We've got a few things we've got to go through before we get there. Hey, <clears throat> good morning. Worship Wednesday. This is part three. Un, deux, trois. Ein, zwei, drei. Three of our series in the prophetic language. How to read the prophets a little bit more accurately. Um, I was sitting down yesterday. I'm saying, what, what, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Eh, what I really wanted to do today, we're going to do next week. We got to keep taking baby steps a little bit here. Um, what I'm going to do today is get you into the book of Revelation, and I'm just going to read through some of the chapters, and I'm going to show you how I've learned to understand it as we go along. If you have any prophecies that you're really kind of, you know, uh, head stumping on and you'd like a little feedback on, time to email them to us. I see that I do have four emails I have to address. I'll get to you all later this week. That's before tomorrow or Friday. I promise. I swear I'll make it happen. I'm doing better now. I've just concentrated the last week or two on my business. And <sighs> that part of my world is running as smoothly as ever all of a sudden. Imagine what happens when you quit trying to do five things half well and you just concentrate on one or two things really well. It works out. So anyhow. Let's just 
get going, right? We're, we're going to be on part three today. Um, I will be updating your homework page to, you know, this is the road to Concord. Show notes, understanding the prophetic language, part one. Well, I'll update that to part two, three, and four when we're done. Uh, you had homework last week. You were supposed to at least read through um, the abbreviated sh- section on uh, this right here. And this isn't an abbre- this is an abbreviated version. I have um, put up the the extended version here where we can hover over it and you know get the King James version translations. But this is for me. Um, so I'll have it today. And then I've got this one standing by too. But where we're going to go today is right here. All right. <clears throat> let's start here in Genesis 49, 22. But let's first remember something. Y'all remember. We're just going to get right into it. Y'all know how I work, man. Let's wait. Don't waste time. We don't have commercials. We just go, 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 go. You remember when um, Israel, the man Jacob, you know, now renamed Israel, he's, he's, elderly, he's about to die, and he blesses Joseph's kids, and he crosses his arms, makes the sign of the Tav, which incidentally, let's um, chase a quick little rabbit here. There are groups out there that want to go to this idea that Yeshua died on the torture stake, or the tree, as opposed to a cross. Okay, I'll bite. If this is the case, then why is the cross everywhere in the imagery dealing with prophecy about his his death yeah when he makes the sign of the tav yeah that, that's just a single sta- standing up single stake right charlie or is yeah the, and, and and there are many that believe that the layout of the tribes when they were one oh well we're desert. gonna get to that don't get ahead of the lesson plan. <laughs> oh sorry <laughs> <laughs> so Jacob crosses his hands and he makes the sign of the, of the Tav, you know, the cross. And he puts Ephraim above Manasseh. And he says, Ephraim will be many nations, you know, a company of nations or a company of the Gentiles, many, many Gentiles. And he'll be greater than Manasseh. Okay. So remember that. Now, here's where we're going to start. This is the blessing of Joseph. This comes after the blessing of the children. This is from Joseph's blessing. And this is still Israel, Jacob, renamed Israel, giving the blessing to Joseph. Genesis 49, verse 22. Joseph is a fruitful branch, a fruitful branch by a spring. Its branch branches hang over a wall. Okay, that, in the prophetic language, let's break this down. He's a fruitful branch. This is going to give you an allusion to tree, Okay. He's a branch of the tree. The tree here, tree is symbolic of a nation or a people. We're dealing with Israel, the nation of Israel, the people Israel. Well, the Israel is not a nation yet at the time this prophecy is being given. It is a people. It's a spiritual nation, but it is a people at this point. The people have crossed over, the Hebrew people. Okay. So at this point, Joseph is going to be, this is before the Exodus, folks. This is, you know, before the imprisonment, before the enslavement. Joseph's going to be a fruitful branch. Fruit. Those are your works. And the way this is put out, it's going to be a productive branch. Okay, so go to the fig tree that we talked about last week. You remember the fig tree had no fruit on it because it wasn't productive? So whatever Joseph's going to do is going to produce for the Lord, for Yahweh. And he's going to be a fruitful branch by a spring. Spring, water the gospel, the flowing word, 
So he is going to be productive for the gospel and his branches will hang over a wall. In other words, he's going to expand outside of the boundaries of the physical nation of Israel. This is what's in that. Now you might think, where the heck did you get all of that from Joe? Isaiah five verses three through seven. Okay. Let's read here. I'll inch this up a little bit. This is now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah. So the holy city of Jerusalem in the nation of Judah. Judge between me and my vineyard. Me and my vineyard. This is the imagery right here. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? This is Israel. The vineyard is Israel. When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? When I looked for good fruit, I got bad fruit. Now I will tell you what I am going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I'll take away its protection. I will break down its walls and it will be trampled. That's Hebrew parallelism right there. So he's going to take away its protection. I'm going to break down its walls. The Right here. A branch hangs over a wall. This is the imagery. Okay. I'm going to take down its protections. It'll be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. When Israel is finally exiled in 70 AD and then further all the way out in 135 AD, that area becomes a wasteland, a desert, and it does not prosper again until 1960s and 70s. It does. It becomes a wasteland. Now let's keep reading in verse 7 here. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty, of Yahweh Almighty, is the nation of Israel. So he's Joseph is going to go outside of the nation, of the physical nation of Israel. But the nation of Israel is more than just a piece of land. It's also the people. It says the nation of Israel and the people of Judah. This is not Ephraim. This is Judah. This is not the house of Israel. It's Judah. And the vines he delighted in, and he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. Okay. So what we have here is we know now that the vineyard is the nation of Judah. Well, Joseph's going to break away from the nation of Judah, from that tree. This is the two kingdoms, the two houses, the two nations being foretold before we even get to Jeremiah. It's already been told that this is going to happen. Then we go down here to Mark. This is where, what I want you to see here is how prophecy has this happen. Of It's everywhere in your scriptures, and it's constantly being interconnected. The parable of the vine growers, Mark 12, verses 1 through 12. It's actually vine grower. And he began to speak to them in parables, parables so that you know certain people won't understand. Is a man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a vat under the wine press and built a tower and leased it to the vine growers and went on a journey. Stop. A man here, this is Yahweh. He made a vineyard, the house of Israel. He did everything he could for it. Remember what he just said in Isaiah? What more could I do for you? Well, he did everything possible for the Israel and he gave it to the people, the Hebrew people. And then he goes on a journey. That's the intertestimonial period. That's after he leaves. That's after the prophet's voices dry up. Verse 2, and at the harvest time, he sent a slave to the vine growers in order to receive his share of the produce of the vine vineyard from the vine growers. This is one of the, This is going to be a prophet. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And again, he sent him 
uh, and again, he sent them another slave and they wounded him in the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another and that one they killed. And so with many others beating them and killing others, this is, um, he's gone away. He's no longer physically in the nation of Israel. He's sending his prophets. Okay. It says, and he no more man, uh, and he had no more man to send, no, no more prophets to send. He sent a beloved son. He sent him to them last of all, saying, they will respect my son. But those vine growers said to one another, this is the, the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. Now this is Yeshua being killed and thrown out of the vineyard. Y'all remember where he was uh, crucified and where he was buried? And all of that? That's that's outside of the, the walls of Jerusalem. It's symbolic of being outside of, of Yahweh's vineyard, outside of Jerusalem, out where the ashes and the trash heaps dumped. It says, and they took him and killed him. And it says, now what will become of the vine? vine uh, what will the vi owner of the vineyard do? He will come and put the vine growers to death and give the vineyard to others. Have you never read in the scriptures a stone which the builder rejected? This has become the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Now, be careful here. A lot of Christians will read this and say, see, he did away with the Jews, and he gave it to the Christians. That's not what it said. If he gives it to you, and you become a faithful caretaker of the vineyard, you're no longer a Gentile. You're now crossed over. You're now a new Hebrew. You're part of Israel. You're part of his vine growers. He gave it to new people, but he didn't change the vineyard. Okay, the imagery hasn't changed there. He's just giving it to different caretakers, and we'll see that here in a little bit. So verse 12, it says, and they, and they were seeking to seize him, because this is Jesus telling a parable. And yet they feared the people, for they understood that he told the parable against them. And so they left him and went away. So this parable is about the, the, the Pharisees, the ones that were left in charge to take care of the vineyard and didn't do it. Well, then you're also going to connect this to the parable of the, uh, the vine, you know, the vineyard owner who comes and hires you for one denarius in the morning. And then he hires the last guy for a denarius one hour before the day is over and everybody gets paid the same. That's an image of if you're working for the kingdom your whole life, you shouldn't be jealous of the thief on the cross who gets the same inheritance that you do when he, he saves it right at the last second, right before he dies. He's telling you, you're not supposed to, it doesn't matter how long you work. That was the agreement. Okay. This is all tied to the, this is all prophetic imagery with the vineyard and the vines. And this is all tied together throughout scripture. And I wanted to use this passage here and I've just chose three pieces of it. There's more. There's a lot more we could tie to this because it, it, like I said, in Joseph, it's not just the vine. It's also a branch branch is going to connect you to trees, olive trees and fig trees to the figs and the fruit, the vineyard. It, that's Israel, physical nation of Israel. The wall is the boundaries of the physical nation, but you also have the spiritual wrapped up in here as well. So you have a physical reflection of the spiritual world. It, it happens. This is how prophecy works, especially in the Near Eastern mindset. So I want to bring you to this one. We're going to just be reading in Revelation for a little while, but this first section, I, I, I got a little 
jump back and around in your scripture for you. This is where Charlie was getting ahead of things just a little bit. Revelation 4, verses 5 through 8. Now, this is all from the NASB Bible today, folks. Y'all remember this. This is the throne and the worship of the creator. That's a subtitle that's in the Bible. It's, it's not in the scriptures themselves. It's been added by the editors. It says, out from the throne came flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps. The, if you see it in italics, in italics, that's been added. It's called a gloss. It's to help it read in our language, in our translation. It's not in the original text. Because in the original text, it would say, and seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of Yahweh, of God. And before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass, something like, um, this is before the throne, like a sea of glass. This is a symbolic imagery. It's not glass. It's not a sea. He doesn't know how to explain it to us. This is, it's like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. Okay. We're in prophetic language. We already know we're in a vision. We're given prophetic. What are the eyes? It's full of eyes. Yeah, Joe, it's got to have the eyes covering its body. No, no. The eye in the prophetic language means spiritual discernment, wisdom, knowledge, understanding. So it's these four living creatures are full of spiritual discernment, front and behind, everywhere. In other words, they're just, they're full of it. The four living creature, um, the first living creature, rather, was like a lion. The second creature, like a calf. The third creature had a face like a man. And the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. Like, like, like. In other words, they aren't lions. They're not a calf. They're like that. This is their nature. This is their shem. This is um, what, you know, this is just as an approximation. And the four living creatures, each of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. This is understanding. And day and night, they do not cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Let's go to Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 3. Isaiah's vision. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim, throne guardians, Michael is a throne guardian, were standing about him, each having six wings, with two each covered his face, showing humility, with two each covered his feet, his genitalia, and with two each he flew. And one called out to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. The whole earth is full of his glory. Okie dokie. So this connects the seraphim, right, to the throne guardians that John sees in Revelation. But notice something else. Uh, Charlie, who is the uh, the Lord of Armies in the Scripture? Well, it's Yahweh of Hosts. Uh, yeah, but who else is called the Lord of Armies? Well, Yeshua could be because Yeshua is the I captain mean, he, of the Army of Hosts. Especially when he returns, he's going to yeah. be. <laughs> but now this is also where um, some of our Mormon friends get the idea that Michael and Yeshua are the same person because Michael is called the leader of the Army of Hosts. Uh, true, yes. But that is, he's not, Michael is not Yeshua, because we see them as two different people, two different entities in the book of Daniel. They're both there, present at the same time. And one of them refers to Michael as separate. Y Yeshua tells Daniel that Michael is separate. They're not the same. What it is, is Michael's a captain, but Yeshua is the, the leader of the army of hosts. He's the general. Well, I thought that was Yahweh. Well, he's the president. 
Yeah, but the scripture right here, this says Yahweh of armies. In the Hebrew, it says Yahweh of armies. Yes. But we're also told elsewhere in scripture that the Messiah is the leader of the army of hosts. Yes. Exactly. So be careful, folks. This purposely blends these ideas. Okay, so we've got our four, four spiritual beings, right? Now we're going to go to Ezekiel. This is all prophecy. This is the prophet seeing things in visions. Ezekiel 1, verses 4 through 14. It says, as I looked, behold, a high wind was coming from the north. That's important. Hold on to that. He's looking in what direction here? He's looking north. A great cloud with fire flashing intermittently and bright lights around it in the midst, something like the gleaming metal in the midst of the fire. In other words, it's bright. It's shiny. This is very similar to the imagery we've just read about in the book of Revelation. Okay. And he says, and within it, there were figures resembling four living beings. And this was their appearance. They had human form. So they looked like men. Each of them had four faces and four wings. Four faces. Okay. Pay attention. Um, if, if I hide my face from you, what do I do? I hide my presence from you. I hide my shem from you. I hide my, my attention. Faces does not necessarily mean face. It can. It can also mean their nature, their character, and it can mean both at one time. This is um, the gleaming metal in the mist, and then there were figures, okay, and six. Each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight, and their feet were like calves' hooves. In other words, they were nimble, strong and nimble. Okay, this is what they mean here, like a calf's hood. To, to the Hebrew, what we're talking about is they're very agile, they're very strong, sure-footed. And they sparkled like polished bronze. They're bright. They're shiny, glowing creatures, but also bronze, strong strength. Under their wings on their four sides were human hands. As for the faces, so you do still have essentially six appendages here. And as for their faces, the wings, four of them, their wings touched one another. Their faces did not turn when they moved. Each went straight forward. In other words, they're sure of their path. Okay, it does not necessarily mean, you know, they don't turn to the left or to the right. They're sure, sure-footed and sure of their path. They never do wrong. They never stray. They stay on the way. They, they're obedient. As for the form of their faces, each had a man, a human face. All four had the face of the lion on the right side looking north and the face of the bull on the left side looking north. And all four had the face of an eagle. So if he's looking at him and he sees a human face, an eagle on the, I mean, a lion on the right, a bull on the left, the eagle's going to be on the, on the north side. The human face is facing south. Such were their faces. Their wings were spread above and each had two, uh, two wings touching each behind and then two covering their bodies. So like covering their feet. Each went straight forward. Whenever the spirit was about to go, they would go without turning as they went. In other words, straight in the path. They do not stray from the path. It doesn't mean they don't turn when they, when, that's not, you're, you're, we're thinking wrong. This is, this is prophetic language. They don't turn to the left or the right. They stay on the path. These are obedient beings. In the midst of the living beings, there was something like the burning coals of fire, like torches moving amongst their living beings. Remember the flame in Pentecost, the, holy, the flame of the Holy Spirit? There you go. The fire was bright and lightning was flashing from the fire and the living being ran back and forth like bolts of lightning. So they moved quickly. Okay, where are we going to go from here? If I am down here in the south facing north, this is going to be 
Judah, the camp of Judah down here on the bottom. And then what am I going to have here? The camp of Dan on the right and the camp of Reuben on the left and the camp of Ephraim up north. Oh, wait a minute. This isn't set that way. North, south, east, and west. We've got this one wrong, right? What I wanted you to see here, I'm going to show you a little bit better alignment on this where it makes more sense. This is correct. They, they've got this done, but they don't have it angled so it makes a lot of sense to you and I. What is important, though, is look, they give you how many people are in these camps. What, what's it look like to you? A little bit like a cross, right? Yeah, it's supposed to. But now here's the angle that Ezekiel saw. Now he's looking north. Who's looking right at him? Reuben, a human face. Who's on the right? Judah, the lion. Who's on the left? Ephraim, the bull. Who's in the back there? Dan, the eagle. So the imagery that Ezekiel is seeing with these throne guardians is going to be the same imagery of the camp in the desert. The whole idea is that this imagery is just mixed up in everything. And when we think like a Greek, it has to be one or the other, we miss the point, okay? The camp here is an earth shadow, as my brother William calls it. It's a reflect on earth as in heaven. So that these throne guardian creatures up in the up in the spiritual heaven, they could very well be one looks like a bull, one is a Jew. But what would that mean? Well, on the left, that's bull, strength. What's on the right? A lion, ferocity, human. Okay, that's like a human being, you know, intelligence, wisdom, whatever. Eagle, swift. So you're strong, you're furious, and you're swift humans. Or in the image of God, of Yahweh. This is all, in the Middle Eastern thinking, all of this is correct. If you're, den if you're deducing all of this from the imagery, you're seeing it's all correct. Okay, it, all of this is meant to be understood at one time. It's not meant to be concretely parceled and in, in, in allocated like we think in the Greek. You know, it, it, this you're not trying to put everything in it, its little cubicles and everything and classify it and make it all nice and neat and orderly. This is meant to be kind of swirled together. And then what's that? Well, folks, that's the tabernacle. And that's how all of the um, furniture was laid in the tabernacle from the point where you enter through the door. And there's a rough form of a what here? A cross. So some people see the cross in the tabernacle and in the camp and in the Tav and in the crucifixion. And I would tell you that what you're supposed to glean from that is probably, yes. It, it, yes, it's okay to have that fuzzy, swirled, it all goes together type of thinking. I think that's exactly what we're intended to have. And this is one of the things I wanted you to, to at least see and be aware of. You don't have to read it this way. You can, you're free to ignore me. That's fine. This is about how I've come to understand the scriptures. I'm sharing it with you. If it benefits you, it benefits you. If it doesn't, it doesn't. You know, apparently you're getting something from it or you wouldn't be here. Now's where I'm going to get really, we're just going to go into the book of Revelations. We're going to start reading. We're going to be in uh, chapter five, verses one through 10. We'll go through it and then I'll go back and explain some of this stuff for me, for you. 
So <clears throat> the scrolls with the seven seals. It says, I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to be able to open the scroll in its seven seals. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders of the lamb standing and as slaughtered, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to break its seals for you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God with your blood from every tribe, language and people of the nation. You have made them into a kingdom of priests to our God, and they will reign on earth. They will reign upon the earth. All right, let's go back up here. First things first. Remember when John starts this, he is told you must prophesy what was, is, and will be yet to be. So you have to understand you're looking backward, present, and forward in time throughout this prophecy, throughout the book of Revelation. You have to pay close attention to the time markers in each section. It's not a book that we read like the Epic of Gilgamesh from front to back. That'll get you screwed up. That's Greek reading. We're not reading a Greek document. So I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne, Yahweh, the Father. And inside of it, in the back is sealed with the seven seals. And I saw seven is the number of perfection and completion, right? I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals. No one in heaven at that time that he's looking at it or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. This has got to be before the crucifixion, folks. Okay, he's looking at this before the crucifixion because when Yeshua is in the ground, he's under the earth. In in the figurative, um, um, in the cosmic geography, when Yeshua is in the ground, he's in Sheol. So he would be under the ground. He'd be under the earth. So there's nobody who can open this scroll. So this is before the crucifixion. He says, then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. One of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David has come so as to be able to open the scrolls and its seven seals. So who is the lion of Judah? The Messiah, right? Now he's come. So he, he has been born now on earth as a man. He's the root of David. He's come to be able to open the scroll. What, what's happening here in time is John is fast forwarding from before through the cross, you know, through Jesus's ministry on earth to the cross and forward. And he says, and I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders, a lamb standing as if slaughtered. Now it's after the crucifixion, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So he's got seven horns and seven eyes. Okay, so those of us who think we're going to have a seven-headed beast running around the world, because we read this literally, when did Jesus have, did the Gospels ever describe him as having seven horns and seven eyes? No. But 
remember earlier in the book of Revelation, Yeshua is standing there. He's got the seven stars in his hand, the seven spirits of the church. This is, folks, this is prophetic. This is um, imagery, symbolic language. What it means here is he has, he has seven horns, seven strengths, seven authorities, seven eyes. He has seven times perfect strength and perfect wisdom. All things have been given to him. Essentially, that's what it's telling us. Complete, perfect. The number seven, seven horns. Horns is power and authority. So he has complete, perfect power and authority. Eyes, discernment, complete, perfect discernment. These are the seven spirits of Yahweh, the complete, perfect discernment of Yahweh. He's filled full of the Holy Spirit, the spirit that goes out into all of the earth. And he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. So he takes it from his father. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. If you fall down before somebody in the throne room, you're worshiping them, which somehow or another, this means that the lamb has deity, as in he is El Elyon. He's worthy of worship. Well, Israel, your God is one. So somehow or another, don't ask me to explain that one to you, but the Messiah and the Father somehow are both worthy of worship. They're not two gods, they're one. So each one's holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, new covenant. Judah sings the old song. Israel sings the new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and break its seals. For you were slaughtered, crucified, and you purchased people for Yahweh with your blood from every tribe, language, and people, and nation from the whole world, not just the tribe of Judah or the house of Israel. You have made them into a kingdom of priests to our Yahweh, and they will reign upon the earth. Um, Charlie, would you please put your microphone on? Yes. When did they, has Messiah returned? Uh, no. When are we priests? Uh, well, it says uh, we is now. And what are we doing on the earth right now? Uh, reigning with uh, Yeshua. Should that not be something that we would want to pay attention to when we're looking for the kingdom of heaven? Uh, yeah. Okay. Just, just, just checking. Thank you, Charlie. So this is how I would read that particular chapter. And now we are going to roll right into six. So this is the first seal. Well, we're going to go a little slower on this. Revelation six, the first seal, conqueror on a white horse. Then I saw when the lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying, as with a voice of thunder, come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and the one who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out and conquered, and to conquer. Okay. So we're back in time again. Now, we're at the cross. We've gone through the cross, but now what we're looking for here. Oh, my gosh, the imagery here. This is when Yeshua, the angel, scoops up the coals from the altar and casts them to the earth and sets fire to the earth. Remember when Yeshua says, I've come to set fire to the earth and, oh, how I wish it had already been kindled? That's an imagery of this as well, of him going out on the white horse. I know you think this is the Antichrist. It can't be. Why can it not be? First of all, the, the crown, that's that's crowning authority in the prophetic language. I asked you to read some of that imagery. That is a crown of, in this case, on the white horse, white, pure, washed pure and white, you know, white, wash your robes with white. Horse is a symbol of uh, military might and of conquering. The crown is a symbol of, of royal authority here, of, of worship, of, of divinity. And he's going to conquer and, and, you know, he's got an empty bow, right? 
We know that from other passages. A bow. <laughs> I'll bend the bow. Zechariah, I'll bend the bow of Judah. He's, fr- he's the lion of Judah. He has Judah in his hand already. Judah's married, never given a divorce. I've got Judah, but where are the arrows going to come from? I'll fill it through the arrow of Ephraim. Arrows in the prophetic language are children. Ephraim is the northern kingdom, the house of Israel. I was sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I was sent to gather the lost sheep, to bring the lost sheep back and make them back into one kingdom. All of this, that right there, folks, is Christ going forth with the gospel message, Judah in his hand, to gather the the, the lost sheep of the house of Israel and make them one stick in his hand again. This is the kingdom come, but not yet. That is Yeshua on that horse. It cannot be an antichrist because then he would be washed white with sinless. If that was the antichrist on that horse, you'd be looking for a red or a black horse. But we don't have that there, do we? No. This is also not after a seven-year tribulation. What you're looking at is the description of the age. From the time of the cross, these are the things that are going to happen. This is, and pay attention before we're done with this, I'll show you. It's in the text. It tells you that this is a description of the situation during the times of tribulation. And next week, I'll show you another passage in Isaiah that ties to this. You've got to learn to li- the, the way the prophets are looking. Spiritual first, then material. The second seal, war. The, the, that's not in the original text. This is a subheading added by the translators. When he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come. And another, a red horse, went out, and to him who sat on it, it was granted to take peace from the earth and that the people would kill one another, and large sword was given to him. Okay, yes, war, red, blood, blood and sin. You're in a spiritual war, so that works. Your spiritual war is sin. Red is a physical war, blood, so on earth as in heaven. So if there's a spiritual war going on in heaven, there's going to be a physical war on earth. So that's, we're going to have wars and rumors of wars. Okay, the gospel message, I came to separate, set fire to the earth, separate son from father, you know, daughter from mother, et cetera, et cetera. The gospel's been cast to earth. The gospel goes forth to conquer. He's going to be with us until the end of the age. But during that age, remember the when he's on the mount telling the t- apostles what it's going to be like, we're going to have wars and rumors of wars, but still the end has not come. Third, the third seal. It says, when he broke the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, come, I looked and behold, a black horse and the one who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not damage the oil or the wine. Okay. What do we have here? Well, first of all, black is pestilence and death. So this is famine, right? I looked and behold, a black horse, and the one who sat on it, a pair of scales in his hands. That's commerce. This is not just famine. This is the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. This is exploitation and corruption, all in it. How do I know that? You have to understand the cultural times. First of all, the scales tell you commerce. You know, you weigh out the, the the gold according to this and that and everything, but it's also in the denarius. And I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a day's labor. You know, one day's food for one day's denarius. A denarius was the wage for one day for a basic laborer. And three quarts of barley. Barley is a, is a cheaper food. So you can buy more of it for the same amount of money. And do not damage the oil or the wine. In other words, don't take away from the rich. 
Don't take the really expensive, don't take the luxuries of the world. Leave them there. The rich will get richer. Nothing will happen to them, but the poor will still struggle. So what, what did Yeshua tell us? You'll have rumors of wars. You'll have famines and the poor will be with you until the end. Okay. So we're still in the church age, if that's what you want to call it. Okay. Fourth seal, death. When the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the four living creatures saying, come. And I looked and behold, an ashen horse. It actually says it's green. It, it, the, the root word here for Greek in the Greek is the same word we get chlorophyll from. It's a green horse, a pale green horse. And the one who sat on it had the name death and Hades was following with him. Authority was given to him over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and famine and plague and by all the wild animals of the earth. So there's more death from whatever, you know, murder and just all sorts of crap. So we're going to have diseases and that's all part of it. The fifth seal, the martyrs. When the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been killed because of the word of God, because of the gospel, because of the Torah, because of the testimony which they had maintained. In other words, they stayed loyal to it. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who live on the earth? And a white robe was given to each of them. They washed their, their garments clean with the blood of the Messiah. And they were told that they were to rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers and sisters who were to be killed, even as they had been, was completed also. Okay, quick rabbit. I was asked, where do we go when we die? In the Old Testament, you went to Sheol. In the New Testament, Paul says to be absent the bodies to be with the Lord. John's looking in heaven and all the dead in Christ, Messiah, before and after the cross, because there's only one salvation. Messiah is the salvation. There's only one way to the Father into eternal life. So those who had faith in Yahweh and his Messiah before the cross are saved the same way. But they went to Sheol, the bosom of Abraham. These people have been washed white with the blood, but they're in heaven, alive at the time John's watching all of this. How could that be? Charlie, what happened at the resurrection? Y'all remember, you remember what the scriptures tell us? Yeah, yeah, the, the graves were opened and many appeared to those. In All who slept in Messiah yeah. were brought, and he yeah. ransomed many from the from the grave, didn't he, from Sheol? Yeah, yeah, it was the first fruits. So maybe the reason you had Sheol beforehand is because we hadn't had the crucifixion yet. Yeah. But now the cosmic geography has been changed. If you die and you are not in the book of life, you still go to Sheol to await judgment. But if your name is in the book of life, you would go to right here with John seeing to wait with the Lord, which matches perfectly with what Paul tells us, doesn't it? Yeah. If we take all the pieces throughout all of the scripture, these puzzles that we wrestle with as believers become a little easier to understand, don't they? Yes, they do. Like children just accepting what dad says, but you have to know the scriptures to get all the pieces, right? Okay. Thank you, Charlie. Appreciate that, brother. Charlie helps me with this sometimes because, you know, I got to make sure I'm not going crazy. The sixth seal, terror. And I looked when he broke the sixth seal and there was a great earthquake. You remember rumors of wars? We're going to have earthquakes and famines and floods, et cetera. And the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair. And the whole moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to earth. And the fig tree dropped its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. 
The sky was split apart like a scroll when it was rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the eminent people and the commanders and the wealthy and the strong and every slave and free person hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks on the mountains. And they said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the sight of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the day of their wrath has come. Who is able to stand? Oh, let's do this again. This has happened many times already, but not to its ultimate fulfillment. Sixth seal, great earthquakes. That can be two things. That can actually be a physical earthquake in the material world, but it also can be a shaking of the, the spiritual world and of things that make the world work. The sun becomes black. We're about to have that here in, in, in a couple of days, you know, a month or so. We're going to have another uh, solar eclipse. And I didn't realize this. I got to check this, but it appears that that solar eclipse is going to pass over nine different cities called Nineveh in the United States. And it's going to form a Tav with the last solar eclipse over the United States. A cross. Uh, does anybody see or hear anything important going on here? Charlie, why would I be worried about the solar eclipse flying over nine cities called Nineveh? This is not the droid you're looking for. Yes, I know. It's not the droid <laughs> we're looking for. You, you understand why I might be a little worried about yes, these signs yeah. in the heavens, yeah, right? Maybe a little bit of judgment, but not, none of that. We haven't had any blood moons landing on tetrads lately, have we? No, no, no. That no. That and would be the moon turning to blood, yes? Yeah, yeah, but, but, oh, come on now. We that's, haven't had the sign of the Son of Man in the stars, have we? Oh, it happens every 6,000 years or so. And the stars in the sky are falling to earth. The, the teachers, because we know that, that the prophetic language, that can also be teachers. We haven't been losing a lot of our good teachers left lately, have we? I mean, David Pawson and, and, and Dr. Heiser are both still alive. Oh, wait a minute. No, they're not. All of our sound teachers are being taken from us. And as figs, you know, dropping unripe, unripe figs, you know, bad fruit. No, the, the fruit didn't ripen. It's not there. The sky is split apart like a scroll. Now that's Isaiah language right there, folks. This is that's the last final judgment of the world. That's when the Messiah comes back and steps out of sky out of the sky. So what you have is is echoes of what's to come, and it's been happening ever since the ascension. This is how, the tetrads and all of this stuff landing on sig spiritually significant events in the physical history of the world has happened many times up till now. Charlie was checking that out when he was working on the calendar. It's amazing how that works too. And it helps us put the calendar in proper order. So then the kings of the earth and the eminent people, and they're all going to hide in the caves and say, hey, you know, who's, oh my God, he is real. Look, there he is. He's come to judge us. Now what do we do? As in the days of Noah, when it starts to rain. Revelation 8, the seventh seal. When the lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Ooh, ooh, there's time in heaven. Okay, we'll put that to the side for now. And I saw the seven angels who stand before Yahweh and the seven trumpets who were given to them. Seven angels? I thought there were four. And then there's 24. Ah, numbers play a role here, folks. Another angel came and stood at the altar holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him. Remember, incense is prayer so that he might add it to the prayers of the saints on the golden altar, which was before the throne. Ah, he had much prayer given to the prayer of the saints, so prayer on prayer. And the smoke of the incense ascended from the angel's hand with the prayer of the saints before God. Um, remember when you have the burnt offering and it's a pleasing aroma before Yahweh? 
the smoke going up from the offering is a physical shadow of the incense of your prayer rising up to heaven. They're parallel images. The angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar and hurled it to earth. And there was peals of thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning and earthquake. Go back up real quick. This is an angel that was given prayer. You don't pray to the other angels, remember? They'll tell you, don't do that. Don't bow down to me. Don't pray to me. I'm just a servant like you. So what angel, what messenger in heaven could accept prayer? Yeshua, right? The Messiah? Yeah, because he's called an angel several times in the book of Revelation. And he takes the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, the gospel, hurled it to earth, and there were peals of thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning. He set fire to the earth. The gospel, you're back in time again. The gospel's been set forward. He tells the apostles, go into the ends of the earth, spread the gospel. And the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to themselves to sound them. And the first sounded, and there was hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled to the earth, and the third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all of the green grass was burned up. Okay, hail, judgment, mixed with fire and blood. Fire, the gospel, blood, sin, judgment, life, blood. All of this, all of that imagery at the same time, physical and spiritual, hurled to earth. Gospels hurled to earth. Third of the earth is burned up. Okay. One third of the earth, one third of the trees were burned up. One third of the peoples and of the grass. That's an imagery of people as well. Go to your chart. Grass and trees. Trees are nations and peoples. Grass is individual peoples, masses of peoples, kind of like the sea. They're burned up. How are they burned up? The gospel destroys them. They can't stand before the gospel message. They reject it. This is, it may be that a third of the world burns. We've had forest fires and wildfires like you wouldn't believe lately in the whole world, in Australia and Canada, the United States. That could be an earth shadow, but the spiritual message here is that they reject the gospel. The second angel sounded and something like a great mountain burning with fire hurled into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood, became sin. And a third of the creatures which were in the sea that had life died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Ships are churches in the prophetic language. Creatures in the sea, fish that have life, spiritual life, they die. This is wormwood being thrown into the burning mountain, a kingdom, a kingdom with a false gospel. Remember, mountains are kingdoms. That's secular humanism, in my opinion. Could be something else. It could be Islam. The third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs and the waters. And the star is named Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the waters because they were made bitter. I, I was putting the two together. My bad. This could be Islam. This one here could be secular humanism. I don't know. That's probably, I don't know. I don't need to make that. All I know is one third of the people are going to be lost here, and then another third of the people here. Wormwood, the rivers, that's the flow of the gospel. The spring waters, is that's the source, the Messiah and his father. And a third of the waters become wormwood, bitter. They, they, they become poison. Many people died from the waters because they were made bitter. In other words, the waters poisoned at the, in other words, there is no God. Poison it at the fountainhead. There's no God, therefore no Messiah, therefore no salvation. This could even be uh, Hebrew parallelism. Yes, it could be both the same thing too. I don't know, and it doesn't matter. The point here is, is a one-third more that could be, if we read section eight and nine as apostasy and section 10 as godlessness, period, there, there you go, thirds and thirds and thirds. 
The fourth angel sounded and a third of the sun, a third of the moon and a third of the stars were struck so that a third of them would be darkened and the day would not shine for a third of it and the night in the same way. I don't know what necessarily to make of that, but I do know this sun is reflecting of the Messiah, the moon of the church and a third of the stars would be the teachers. So it could just be, this is like Charlie was saying, this is, could all be Hebrew parallelism about the exact same thing. Or it could be about two different things going on. But I know that I don't need to know it specifically. What this is, is spiritual attack upon the believers of this world. Then I looked and I heard an eagle flying in mid-heaven. Mid-heaven is the actual sky. Okay, there, you, you have three heavens. You, you have the near heaven, which is we would think of the, the earth, and then the mid-heaven is between here and the spiritual heaven, the sky and heaven, uh, space or whatever. It's up in that area. And it says with a loud voice, whoa, whoa, woe to those who live on the earth because of the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. And we'll get to them when we come back. We're going to go to the break right now. And we'll, we'll take a six-minute break. We'll come back. We're, I'm, going to keep, I'm going to keep reading Revelation 9 and 10 at least. And then I'm going to talk to you about what we'll do next week. Um, this is all putting together. If you did your homework and you've read up till now about what prophets are and how, what they're supposed to be doing and how the prophetic language works, and you've read some of the symbology and, and some of the, the known set symbols that are defined in the Old Testament and carried forward into the New, I, I, I could do this in any book of the prophets, but I stuck with Revelation because that's the one that most people like to look at you know, in, in an area. that, And hopefully by now you'll see that, at least for me, this all fits. This is not all that confusing anymore. I don't need to have a crystal. This is not a magic eight ball telling me exactly what it's going to look like on the earth. I'm not using it that way. I don't care. I'm not trying to put you know specific days and time. I don't care. I'm looking for seasons. I'm looking for spiritual conditions. I know that the patterns could repeat over and over and over again many times before the Messiah returns. So that's what I'm looking for. Spiritual first, physical later, and there could be many manifestations. The sun turning black and this and the moon turning red that's happened many times and and it's happened around feast days many times and every time that's happened there's been something significant happening on those feast days spiritually significant you know the the persecution of the jews in spain um the return of of israel as a nation of the jerusalem as a as a being freed during 670 war the return of Israel, uh, Jerusalem is the capital. I mean, all these things have landed on important dates. And and they talk to, the, the sun's talking to, to the non-believing world. Which again, if you're going to have the eclipse over the United States forming a Tav, which is a sign of the covenant, meaning strong promise or strong covenant, and it's going over cities of Nineveh, named Nineveh in the United States, Dude, if you're a believer, that should scare the bat crap out of you. You should be in sackcloth throwing ashes on your head like today. But, you know, we're okay. We're saved. You know, Jesus is love. It's all right. I don't think that's going to work out very well for us because we're not paying attention. Yeah, he gets us. Yeah. All right. We'll be back in six minutes and we'll go from there.
Looks like you have a note for us there, Charlie. Or one comment you were going to share. Oh, okay. been Natasha. We'll leave that there then. Before we get back to where I left off, I want to back up just a little bit. I want to share something with you here. Let me see if I can make this happen this way. Mm. This might not be as easy for you to read, especially if you're on your phone, but I'm going to go to Revelation 1. And I want to scroll through a few things here that a lot of us miss before we study the book of Revelation. You have to always start in the beginning. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, gave Jesus, to show to his bondservants, to Christ's servants, the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus, everything that he saw. Then come down just a little bit further. I want to go to verse 9, chapter 1, verse 9. I, John, your brother and fellow participant in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Um, Charlie, turn your microphone on real quick. Let's go through this with me real fast. Unless I've misunderstood something, fellow participant, is that in the present form? Uh, yeah, I would think so, yes. In the what? In, in, the, in the tribulations and... And the so kingdom? And the kingdom, yes. Uh, that would mean it had already come, right? Uh, oh, yeah, I guess so. So what does that do to a lot of the eschatology that the church fights over right now? Well, it... Uh, what should it do to the fights over a lot of the different... It should sure put a spear through the heart of the thing because... Or at least it, give us a reason to go back and relook at it. Yeah, you need to look at this because it says right here. And it also says in this set first chapter of what is, what was, is, and is yet to come. You know, John is told to prophesy against those, you know, what was, is, and yet to come. So we have to remember that the book of Revelation is a past, present, and future from the point John's writing. We forget this a lot of times. So thanks, Charlie. I, ju I just wanted us to go back over that and remember this. So we'll get back into here. Revelation 9, the fifth trumpet, shaft of the abyss. We'll read this in sections, folks, because this, this is where it starts. This is where a lot of people start looking for things that, if they understood the prophetic language, they'd look for spiritual meaning and for fuzzy feeling in the material world. It would be better off. So the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to earth, and the key to the shaft of the abyss was given to him. A star, a messenger. Fallen to earth implies that we're not dealing with an obedient messenger. If we were, it would be ascended and descended. But this one falls to earth, so we're probably dealing with another rebellious angel, a rebellious Elohim. He opened the shaft of the abyss, and smoke ascended out of the shaft like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened from the smoke of the shaft. And then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth, and power was given to them as the scorpions of the earth have power. All right. Uh, smoke from the abyss. Smoke, sometimes, or a lot of times in the prophetic language, it, it alludes to prayer. Why would the demons be praying? I don't know. Maybe because they realize they've screwed up and they're trying to be, you know, they're trying to, after the fact, find forgiveness. 
it's a possibility. And especially if you made it up with some of the thinking, not the scripture of, but thinking in first Enoch, because that's basically what Enoch is asked to do by the disembodied souls that are locked up in the abyss. Please you know, go up the Yahweh and see if you can make amends for us. So that might be what that is. But the locusts that come out, locusts are things that eat up and destroy. Okay, they devour. Be careful with this. I know how the, a lot of people, you know, this is the, you know, helicopters and this and that and everything. Uh, this is out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth, something that destroys. The power was given to them as the scorpions of the earth have power. That's a likening. That's a, that's a simile. You know, it's a, it's a this to that. They were told not to hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree but only the people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. So they torture the non-believers. Okay. Um, that's not real locust. Real locust would eat the green stuff. So whatever we're dealing with here, they're going after the non-believers and they were not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment for five months. Now don't worry about the time period. I'm not sure how that works here. Don't worry about that. They're allowed to torment because that could be five prophetic uh, months of years. It could be five prophetic months of Jubilee years. That, that could be a whole, I have no idea, but leave that alone for now. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a person. They can torment the non-believer. Um, in other words, you can inhabit them. If these are the disembodied soul, if, if these are the disembodied souls of the Nephilim, the 90% of them that were locked up and they're re-released, they can start possessing their bodies again. You can drive people mad. You can't kill them, but you can possess them. Demon possession of the non-believer. Why would they not be able to possess the believer? Well, you can't possess a body that's filled with the Holy Spirit. So, okay, that's a possibility. That's the spiritual impression that I'm getting here. So, the, um, and the torment, like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a person, because a lot of times scorpions are just a burn and it hurts, but they won't kill you. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die and death will flee from them. In other words, they're going to be wanting relief from the, the pain and it won't be there. The appearance of the locust was like a horse prepared for battle. In other words, it's strong, it's, it's um, strength and might. In their heads appeared the crowns like gold, crowns like gold, but they weren't gold. They were given authority, but it wasn't divine authority. They're not, they're not God. These are not gods and their faces were like human faces. So they have the appearance of humans, just like the Nephilim would. They had hair like the hair of women. Now that's actually not a good thing, folks. In, in the Hebrew mindset, long hair is shameful, but you know, it's typical of a barbarian. And their teeth were like the teeth of lions. The, the the teeth, there's a there's a Hebrew word, I mean letter rather, that's the image of teeth. It has the meaning of teeth, isn't there? Yes, sheen or sheen. Sheen. And that basically means destruction, doesn't it? Or yes. like a weapon. Right. Okay, so teeth like a lion. There's imagery here that these there's there's pain in their bite. So rather than looking for a direct what the heck is this, look for the spiritual. And if you do that, demons fit this very well. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. In other words, they're they're armored. They're they're they have defenses. The sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots of many horses rushing to battle. 
They have tails like scorpions and stings, and their tail is the power to hurt people for five months. That's Hebrew parallelism there. That goes back to the sting as a scorpion. They have as king over them the angel of the abyss. Ah, now here's where we start getting hints to what we might actually be dealing with. See why we keep reading? The name in Hebrew is uh, Charlie. What's that? Abaddon? Well, yeah, it's not written in Hebrew, so Avadon. Avadon, uh, okay. Yeah. And in the Greek, his name is Apol uh, Apollyon. Yeah. It 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 means destruction. So this could be Satan himself or the prince who is to come. I have no idea. But we are dealing with spiritual beings that are described as locusts, not helicopters in in other war machines or whatever you're somehow or another you're dealing with spiritual beings they will have a physical manifestation don't get me wrong but their prince is a spiritual being or the people influenced by those spiritual beings the actual physical people oh, you got wow. something charlie yeah i just had firefly go boom. firefly go bang okay because when you said that you know there may be physical you know <sighs> This goes again to um, a lot of my fears for people in relation to not understanding the last times uh, prophecies and such. In the, the oh, we'll be tackling that in our Sabbath left study behind, this week. Uh, eschatology kind yep. of things because you know, like Islam, they're looking for the you know imam or whatever and and stuff, which is just the antithesis of of you know Yahweh's plan mm -hmm. but there's going to be physical manifestations and you know I would not put it past the adversary to, to manifest use these what? physical manifestations that people are expecting to see where they say oh these are helicopters these are tanks and in order to deceive the people into believing in this anti-messiah mm -hmm. oh my gosh that's so dangerous to deceive even the elect is that, that is were possible. so so dangerous because people read that passage as if oh, you know it, to deceive even the elect if that's if possible right. yes. they think they read if that were possible it says if possible in other words if you're an elect and yeah. it's possible to deceive you they will yes you have Ooh. got we're in a time this is why it's important to look to the spiritual season he may not be about to return it, there may be a lot of time left coming but we could still be lost because we misunderstand the spiritual season and we could fall away from our faith yes you've got to cling to that which you know is true and firm and the way i'm trying to read this prophecy it, remember this is a blessing if i keep the prophecy in other words protect it uphold it it's the only book in the bible that promises you a blessing for studying it and reading it but i'm trying to read it in a way that it applies to everybody from the time John wrote it until the time the Messiah returns. Cause that's who it's addressed to. Right. Okay. Well, don't read it as though you're, it, it, it applies to every generation that's lived since the Ascension. Yeah. Equally. So quit thinking that it, you know, quit insisting that it has to be, he's coming back in your life. The, that's what the, 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 the way I was reading all of the horsemen and the trumpets and everything, this is the condition of what we call the church age and what John calls the tribulation. Oopsie. Oopsie. 
Yeah. You've been in the trib since the ascension. Yeah. Now you understand why I say that. Because John told me I was. Well, who's John? <laughs> the apostle who was given the book he of Revelation of Jesus Christ? Yeah. I think he understands the trib better than I do. So, anything else, Charlie? Uh, that's enough. <laughs> yeah, I know. I understand. Okay. It says, the first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still coming after these things. The sixth trumpet, army from the east. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who were bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released so that they would kill a third of mankind, excuse me, a third of mankind. The number of the armies of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. And this is how I saw in my vision the horses and those who sat on them. The riders had breastplates the color of fire, a hyacinth and brimstone, and the heads of the horses are like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire and smoke and brimstone. This is also just supposed to be spiritual imagery of something terrible and fierce, okay? These are warriors, fierce, terrible warriors. A third of mankind was killed by these three plagues, by the fire, the smoke, and the brimstone, which came out of their mouths. Smoke and brimstone and fire, to me, as I've understood the, the prophetic language, this is a false gospel. I, me, personally, me, I think what you're dealing with here, this is Islam. These are the jihadis. They rode horses. And this, if you've studied the history of Islam, this fits, and they preach a false gospel, in which case we're probably dealing with Hebrew parallelism again. Okay, these seven trumpets don't necessarily have to be seven different things. This could all be the same thing over and over and over again. It says, for, um, for the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents and have heads, and with them they do harm. Does that not sound like the, the locusts that were allowed out of the pit? You see, if, if, if this is all sounding like I, I see it as though it's being connected and swirled together, yes, that's because that's what I've learned. The ancient Near East mind, that's how they thought. They have, they have no problem with all of this being somehow swirled together and connecting everything together without being concrete. It, it doesn't have to be compartmentalized, and they're fine with that. It's the Greek mindset we've inherited in the Western world that wants to compartmentalize that. And in the process, you slice up what should be a complete prophecy. You slice it into pieces. And when you slice a hole into pieces and then try to understand the whole, you got a problem on your hands. You got to put it back together. But if you've sliced it into pieces that you think are separate entities, you don't know how to put the whole back together. You have to rethink how you got to relearn how to think the way the Bible wants us to think. Verse 20, the rest of mankind who was not killed by the plagues did not repent of their works of the hands so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood. Um, idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood. You're going to find that again. That's echoing uh, Daniel and um, Nebuchadnezzar's um, work with his stone and his music and everything. And it, that's mirrored language back to the Old Testament which we can neither see nor hear nor walk, and they do not repent of their murders, nor of their witchcraft, nor of their sexual immorality, nor of their thefts. So there'll be plenty of warning in the world. 
and the, and the people will just not repent. Um, quick rabbit. The way Yahweh warns. Uh, I'm dealing with something on uh, Facebook right now. I'm not going to name names or anything, but there's a meme put up. And it says, so you think that it, you know, you can have a little cussing and a little drinking and a little hooking up and you're still saved. And I got into a discussion with a believer there who's thinking that that's a false meme. So, well, Jesus drank and he called the Pharisees vipers. And they're saying, well, you know, that, 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 that's a false meme. That meme is just not teaching people, people properly, but the, the meme teaches exactly correctly. This person who thinks that that's a false meme is not understanding the scripture and doesn't understand the meme either. The meme is hitting at how we think these days. Oh, I'm just doing a little drinking and I'm just doing a little cussing, which is a sign of an uncircumcised heart. You know, it's an unclean heart. Remember what Jesus said? It's not what goes into the mouth that makes you unclean, but what comes out of the mouth because what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. So I can be a little drunkard. And I can be a little cussing and rebellious and mean and mean spirited and mean hearted. And I can hook up a little bit and I'm still saved, you know, cause Jesus gets me. What were we told in the scriptures about a little bit of yeast? What's it do to the whole dough, whole, whole lump. It leavens the whole lump. That that's a, that's an allusion to a little bit of sin. That's like saying I can, I can have a little bit of sin in my life and I'm still pure. It's not what the scripture teaches. And I tried to correct this believer. Well, this believer did not want the correction. Was questioning whether or not I even knew what sin was. So the point is, if you're going to live a rebellious life, even if you think it's just a little bit rebellious, and refuse to have a fear of the Lord and come back to his ways of doing things, hey, that's okay. It, it has had a cost for everybody in the Old Testament that has done that. It costs them. So if you think that, you know, well, I'm under the new covenant, I don't have that problem. That's not what the new covenant says. And we live in that world. And that's that's what's that's what's right here in the book of Revelation. We've got these people that Yahweh has sent the warnings. We're going to have the Tav and the, uh, the we've had the uh, blood moons, uh, tetrads on the high holy days and and, and we're going to have the solar eclipses over cities named Nin. We're, we're being sent every sign in the world, and we just don't want to listen. We're in a time such as the one that John is foretelling. Is it the time? I don't know. I don't care. We're in a time such as that. That's what I want to know. So he goes to chapter 10 in the book of Revelation. I saw another strong angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud and a rainbow was on his head and his face was like the sun and his feet were like pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little scroll, which was open. This is Jesus. This is very similar to the language that's in the beginning of the book of Revelation chapter one and in Daniel. He placed his right foot on the sea and his left on the land. And he cried with a loud voice as when the lion roars and he had, and, uh, and when he cried out, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. It says, when the seven peals of thunder had spoken, I was about to write and I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder have spoken and do not write them. Then the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, 
who created heaven and things in it and the earth and the things in it and the sea and the things in it. And there will, there will no longer be a delay. That is not what's in the Greek. It says there will no longer be time, but in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished as he announced to his servants, the prophets. All right, stop. This is Jesus. And he's, he talks about there'll be no more time. The mystery of God, no more delay. It means no more time. The mystery of when the seventh angel sounds, that's it. Time's ender. What is the mystery of God? Mystery of Yahweh. Mystery of Yahweh is the gospel and how he will reverse all the falls and reclaim the entire kingdom of the earth. He will re-inherit the earth. Remember, part of it was given over. He willingly gave it over to Satan at the fall with Adam. And since Messiah came, he has been taking it back. He went forth on the white horse to conquer. He's going to take it all back. It's all going to come back to Yahweh. When that seventh trumpet sounds, it's over. All of that is accomplished. That's what this is about. Then the voice which I heard from heaven, I heard again speaking with me and saying, go, take the scroll which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the land. And I went to the angel telling him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, take it and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth, it will be sweet as honey. In other words, take it and, and, and uh, embrace it, eat it up, take it into who you are. It's going to make your stomach bitter. There's going to be... In your mouth, it'll taste sweet. Oh, my God, we're going to have victory. But in, in your stomach, bitter when you realize what it means. Oh, my God, all the destruction and the loss that are going to be lost because they wouldn't accept the Lord. Everybody who will be in the lake of fire or who is going to be destroyed and all of the damage and all of the sorrow and all of the pain, that's what this That's I understand this imagery big time. That's me in the, the bad case of the Ecclesiastes disease I have right now. That, 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 that's me and my Jonah not wanting to go warn Nineveh. Heck with you. You deserve what you got coming. I understand. That's what the bitter is. Sweet in my mouth because, hey, Yahweh's going to win. But bitter because I understand what's going to be, what all's entailed. It says, I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. And in my mouth, it was sweet as honey. And when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And they said to me, you must prophesy again concerning many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. This is the bifid. He's just told, told, tell it again. First, you told it to the seven churches, Yahweh's people. Now you have to tell it again to many peoples, nations, languages, and kings, to the, to the Gentiles. Revelation 7, an interlude. This is, after this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. In other words, all the, all the earth. Holding back the four winds of the earth. Earth is winds are change, turmoil, uh, political strife, war. And uh, no wind would blow on the earth. So this is a time of peace or nothing's going on or on the sea or on, on the trees. So the people are at some sort of form of peace. And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, holding the sea of the living God. And he called out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. Now, this is where you have to understand the prophetic language to get the spiritual idea of what's going on. We're back in time again, okay? If you read this linearly, you're not going to quite understand. The four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, this is also a spiritual war. So I need to seal all of my bond servants. Well, that's going to happen from at least the cross 
if not from the time of Adam all the way forward to the very last person who will be saved is saved. But I have to seal all my, we think, well, this is just the ones during the tribulation when they're, no, 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 that's not what this is. All my bond servants. So this is a time, I, I, I understand this as the gospel age. This is the church age. There will be a spiritual peace of a sort. In other words, Satan is bound and can't fool the nations, can't fool the Gentiles. So it's Yah, Yeshua in the gospel and his servants can can rob the strong man's house. The strong man being Satan, the house being this world, this kingdom, you know, the Lord of the air or whatever, we can rob his house. We can steal people away from him into the kingdom of Yahweh. This is how I understand this passage. I could very well be wrong, but I see this as the part of the church age because this is an interlude, okay? And he's seeing something else. It's like he's gone back in time to re-look at things that have happened at the same time. He's still talking to the church here. John is. 144,000. I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. Okay, so that's all 13 tribes. Yeah, well, that's that's, uh, that's only 12 times. Tw- yeah, 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 yeah. There's something else going on here. I'm not sure what it is. I'm not going to get into that speculation. I'm looking for just the gist of this right now. From the tribe of Judah, 12th, and all of this, we'll go through this. There's um, Dan's left out of this, I believe. I want to go through this. Benjamin, 12,000. I'm going to skip reading that because it's 12,000 from all but one tribe. This is the multitude, and, and what's the point here? 12 by 12 to 12, th- this is the fullness. I know there's people who got all sorts of, to me, this is the, look what you were just told. Sealed the bond servants of our God on their forehead. This is the sum total who are going to be saved in all of time, or at least of the church age. And it's all part of the parallelism and the stepladder, the chiasm. That's, that's another thing we haven't addressed. There's, a, there's several chiasms in this passages we've been reading which is parallelism, a multitude from the tribulation. After these things, I looked and behold, a great multitude with no one could count from every nation in all the tribes, peoples, and languages standing before the throne, before the lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. Um, And they cried out with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. All right, look what you just, this little interlude, hold back the wind, the spiritual winds until we seal everybody. This is however many get sealed. That's a spiritual number of completion. And then what do I have? And these things I looked and behold a great multitude, which no one could count from every nation and all the tribes, peoples, and languages. So this is this is clearly got something to do with what we call the church Christian age. This is not the house of Judah and the house of Israel alone. This is Gentiles included. So all of this here paralleled, all taken together. Remember, this an interlude and the 44, 1,444 and the multitude, take that out of there. That's something that our translators put in there. So this is all one passage. So I think what you're dealing with here is what we call the church age, the latter days. Verse 11, all the angels were standing around the throne, around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their face before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, blessing, glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, power, and mighty belong to our God forever and ever. Amen and might belong to our God forever and ever. And amen. Sorry about that. And then the one of the elders responded saying to me, these who are clothed in the white robes, who are they? And where have they come from? I said to him, my Lord, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation 
and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And this is why I think we're dealing with the church age in this entire passage, because it says they come out of the great tribulation. John tells you he's already in the tribulation. I think the tribulation is another name for latter days, the last days, the time before the end times. I think it started at the ascension because it fits. That's, that's what he's being told right here. They come out of you. We've been told, well, that's just the last seven years. Not necessarily. You know, that's something we've been told by the traditions of men. But John tells you in verse one, chapter uh, one, verse nine, he's already in the tribulation. Well, yeah, Joe, but he said the great tribulation. The tribulation and the great tribulation, there's nothing in the scripture to tell you they're two different times. There's nothing. We just assume that. So verse 15 says, For this reason they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them. They will no longer hunger nor thirst, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd, who will guide them to the springs of the water of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's kingdom, excuse me, kingdom now and kingdom come language right there. That's the extent of where I wanted to go today with that. Um, hold on, let me just dump that down that way. And there's one other passage I want to go to. Um, prophetic language, it, it, it works in layered ways. I've tried to explain that. Let's go to the book of Revelation again real quick. This is chapter 3, and we're going to be in verse 14 to the end of the chapter. It, this is message to Laodicea. It says, to the angel of the church of Laodicea, write this. The amen, the faithful, and the and true witness, the original of the creation of God says this. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Let's stop right there. There's something going on here that we, I didn't know about. You have to understand this city. Say, well, you're neither cold nor hot. You're neither on fire for God or, or hate God. Uh, that's, a, that's a modern understanding of that. The city's in a valley between two hilltops. And it was famous for the water that come from these two hilltops. One of them came from a deep well or a spring. And it was really cold and refreshing water. Because this city is in southern Turkey. It can get hot during the summer. And the water in that spring is cold and refreshing. The other one is a hot spring. And it's a mineral spring. And it was known for its medicinal and healing powers. So by the time you took the water from either mountain and got it down to Laodicea, the city, the cold water was now lukewarm and the hot water was now lukewarm. Part of what's going on is you're neither refreshing nor healing. Mm, you're not fruitful. It's not quite a change of the way we think neither cold nor hot, but it's an important subtlety that we need to understand. This is not a case of you're either for me or against me. This is a case of you're neither refreshing nor fruitful. You know, you're not healing or refreshing people. You're not being fruitful. So, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have not needed anything. And you do not know that which, and you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. This is also an allusion to Ephraim. He says the exact same thing. In his own military might and wealth, he doesn't need it. He doesn't need Yahweh anymore. Verse 18, I advise you to buy from me 
gold uh, refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments that you may clothe yourself and in, sh- in, uh, in the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and eye solve to apply to your eyes so that you may see. In other words, spiritual riches, spiritual wealth. Take the, God, the word of Yahweh. To whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. That is an allusion to the Hebrew wedding. Um, the part where the bride bridegroom and his father come to the bride's house and they work out the wedding. When that dinner's over, the wedding's a fait accompli. The only thing they haven't done is had the wedding celebration. So that's Mary had already done that when she, when she conceives Jesus, she's already married. They just haven't consummated that. They haven't had the wedding celebration yet. This is an allusion to the the Hebrew wedding. This is, if you will let me in, I'll come in and we'll wrestle out the contract of we'll, we'll work out your salvation together. That's what he's telling us. So the one who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne. And I also overcame and sat with my father on his throne. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who overcomes, I thought that works had nothing to do with your salvation. Overcome implies that you have to do something. You have a part in this. Yeah, I know, salvation by grace and grace alone, but why is he telling you you have to overcome? you got to run your race to the end. Who is this telling us that I have to overcome? This is Jesus, right? So what should I do with the people who tell me I don't have to do anything but say the Lord's prayer and I'm good to go? Jesus tells me there's more to it than that. You think maybe I should take that warning a little seriously and at least dive myself into the scriptures and find out exactly what it is Jesus expects me to do so that I can earn that place at the table with him? The prophets are trying to tell us, tell us that over and over and over again, but we don't listen. The Gospels tell us this over and over and over again, but we don't listen. But Joe, that's works. You can't earn your way into heaven. Nobody said you could earn your way into heaven. You have things to do to be a good citizen in the kingdom. But, Otherwise, but I, you don't have I your have wedding. responsibility once yeah. I'm in the kingdom. Because otherwise, you're the guy who gets caught in the wedding celebration without your wedding garments on. And what happened to him? Well, he he got kicked out. Yeah, because he tried to earn his way in. No, you can't earn your way in, but you have to learn how to live as a citizen of the kingdom of Yahweh. In other words, I can do a little drinking and a little cussing of my uncure, clean heart and hooking up every now and then, and I'll be all right. Well, that's living as a citizen of who? Yahweh or Satan? That's living as a citizen of Satan. And somehow or another, if I warn a believer about that, I'm telling a half-truth. No, you're a hater. Yeah, and a hater. No. Those who were comfortable living in their little bit of sin, thinking that they're okay, those are the ones in Isaiah 66, 17, they've washed their own garments white, and yet they get thrown in hell for the process. It doesn't work. It's either the rule book or the highway. You got to know it. The prophets are not that difficult once you learn their language. I didn't tell you I knew everything we were just reading. Now, did I? 
but I get a fuzzy feeling for what they're telling me. And that helps. That's all I need. Most of the time is the fuzzy feeling. I got kind of an idea of what he's talking about. I got it. I'm it's, it's not entirely, you know, the same to us as it's all Greek to me. It's not totally un incomprehensible anymore. And the book of revelation is not the big mystery. There are a few places in it. I'm still blind to, but it is not the mystery to me that it seems to be to most people. And I don't have any reason to be fighting over it, especially since like Charlie and I were talking about during the break, I have not done this today, but Oh my gosh, could I be taking you back to the old Testament showing you where all of this comes from? We didn't get to the two witnesses today, but you've seen them before. If you've read the book of Zechariah, the four horsemen, Go back and read Zechariah. They're there too. All of the imagery in the in the book of Revelation is in the Old Testament. Even the lake of fire. Go read the end of Isaiah. Isaiah 66. It doesn't call it the lake of fire, but it makes an allusion to it. One of the few that you're going to find in the Old Testament. Everything in the book of Revelation has already been told to you. John's not telling us anything new. He's adding details. He's, he's describing it to us in slightly different ways, explaining things to us that were veiled in the Old Testament. He's clarifying, but there's nothing new. And it, it shouldn't be all that difficult to us. But because we want to own the prophecy, and we want control over it, and we want everybody to look at us, oh, I've got some sort of secret revelation about it. It's, it's, no, no. It's not your prophetic word. It's Yahweh's. And, and, and in this case, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the Messiah's revelation. It's not you. You and I don't own it. Be reverent with it. Have some fear of it. Keep it. Guard it. Don't. It's not our property. And, and this idea that the people who want to get rich off of telling everybody what that book means and scaring people to death the only ones that book should scare the ones who are not right with Yahweh. If you are, it should make you bitter, sweet in the mouth, bitter in the stomach, because you understand what it means. Now, for next week, I'm going to expand on this. We're going to go to the passages about the city on the seven hills and the, the, the beast and the Antichrist, you know, supposedly. I'm going to look at that and I'm going to take you all through and I'm going to connect a lot more passages next week. I'm going to even more connecting I'm going to do what Charlie was saying. We could have done today. We're going to do a little of that next week, but also if you have a prophetic passage anywhere in your, in your studies that you want our opinion on, or a little bit of feedback, email it Joe at the road to concord.com email us this week. Give me and sooner rather than later. Give me a little time to look at it, but there. We'll, we'll cover that for you next week, or we'll do our best. If you've got a prophetic passage you're not sure you understand, or you've it puzzles you, send it to us, and we'll see what we can do to help you. But I've got a few passages I want to tackle. Like, we're going to tackle Isaiah probably 65 and 66. 66 for sure. Ooh, doggy. Uh, that's a big one right there. Last chapter of, of Isaiah. That's a case of here and now. That's a case of spiritual and physical. Oh, man, it is all everything that I, prophetic language and it, it, everything. That is like the epitome chapter of trying to, that's the final exam on understanding your prophets. That chapter is huge. And if you 
get to where you halfway understand it, you're doing good. And it'll also scare the bejeebers out of you once you start to understand it. But if you're one of these ones that thinks, well, he gets us, and you read 66, you're not going to see the warning to you in there. Oh, it talks right to you, boys and girls, if you're one of those. Um, and it, it's, it, it's, not, it's not pretty. The language it aims at you is not pretty at all. But, you know, what's it matter? He gets you. <laughs> the irony in that campaign, though, is, Charlie, he does get them. That, that's the irony of it, just not the way they think. Oh, yeah, he gets them, but they don't get him. <clears throat> uh, there you go. That's the problem. So do we have anything else for today? Anything, ch- thoughts, Charlie? Natasha? That's what I wanted to cover today. Yeah, that was, that was good. I had some fireflies going off, so good stuff. We good? <laughs> okay. If everything keeps going as well as it seems to be going, Charlie's got to be out of town the last week of March. So the first Friday of April will probably be the first time we come back with a Friday show. And if that goes well, hopefully sometime in early May, we'll, we'll, we'll get back to our three days a week and Yahweh willing, we'll stay there for however long. I think I can make everything work. We'll give it a shot. I just got to get BB convinced that what we're doing is worth it. <laughs> She's just worried about me taking on too much. My wife loves me. I get it. And I don't blame her. And I'll watch after that. We won't do anything that we shouldn't be doing or can't do. But uh, all right, that'll wrap us up for today. We love each and every one of you. And we thank you for being here. We hope we're helping. If you have questions about your profits, email us this week, sooner rather than later, please. If you think this show will help anybody, please send it to them directly. Um, they may need to go back and watch the previous shows. Hold on. I sure hope I hit the mute button before I did that. I'm sorry. Wow. <laughs> For those of you who live in the South, it is yellow dew season, baby. It is yellow dew season down here. And me and my hay fever are not liking the pollen. And one quick programming note uh, for those of you i know there's a lot of people say they want to rewatch this if it's easier for you these shows will be in the cultivating your hebrew roots properly playlist on youtube if that works easier for you guys i would have muted that but it also mutes charlie when i do that yeah you're right natasha it doesn't snow in the south here at <laughs> pollens yeah. yes and <laughs> For those of us with hay fever, oh my gosh, I am very sorry, folks. Anyhow, we're going to get out of here. We'll see you next Wednesday. Until then, y'all stay safe. Yahweh bless. Take care, and thank you for being here. Bye-bye.